From Nevada Public Radio, I'm Joe Shaneman. It's State of Nevada. It's also Valentine's Day. Relationships. We're going to be talking about that today. But relationships in Las Vegas often bear the unique imprint of the city's vibrant and really unconventional atmosphere. We are fast-paced, 24 hours. We still have a transient population. Our service and 24-hour economy means schedules don't always match up. At the same time, a lot of us embrace the diversity of our population. And given all of that, how do we make relationships work? And I'm not talking only about standard man-woman, man-man, or woman-woman relationships. There's polyamory. There are friends with benefits. There are swinging couples. And what about situationships? And yes, that is a thing. There's also love for self. A lot of us are single. Maybe people blame themselves or find fault for that because of that. And that's important these days as some therapists and academics believe that more people suffer from depression than there have been in in many, many years and more is coming. And that can be a major hindrance to a successful relationship. And now with me is assistant professor in marriage and family therapist intern Vida Kazoskaite and Professor Sarah Jordan, also a marriage and family therapist, and both are in the Couples and Family Therapy Program at UNLV. They've both been on before, and uh, thanks for being back. Good morning. Good morning. And Vida, I'm going to start with you. Uh, so much to talk about today. Uh, you talk to people, I'm sure, who are in a lot of these different forms of love or relationships. And I'm going to start traditional and then get non-traditional. Marriage. Las Vegas is known for its its fast-paced lifestyle. It's also known for easily accessible temptations. Does it make Las Vegas a unique place or a difficult place for couples? It certainly makes it a unique place. Um, it has its unique challenges. Like you mentioned, it is a 24-hour town, so you can do whatever you want, play with whomever you want. And so it's all about priorities. What are you looking for? Are you looking for a good time or are you looking for something more serious? It just depends on what you want. But I wonder if you ever talk to people who come here with the idea that, you know, they're from a place where it was very traditional. They came here thinking, yeah, I'm just going to do what I did back home in Iowa. (laughs) They get here and these temptations are here and things just go kablooey. That happens, I'm sure. So again, I think playing around and getting that out of your system is a big deal about uh, for growing up, right? So if you want to live the non-traditional lifestyle for a while, sure. Um, now, how long will you be able to continue that, right? Is it something that you want for the rest of your life or will you eventually get it out of your system and then go back to the traditional roots? Either or is fine, and there's a lot in between, right? So maybe you meet someone who uh, also doesn't want to live a traditional lifestyle. Maybe you can be a couple that goes out every night and, like you mentioned, has swinger parties. Whatever they desire, whatever works for them, I say go for it. Okay. And uh, Professor Jordan, we're a 24-7 city. People work three shifts in bars, restaurants, casinos. I wonder what kind of advice you give to couples when they come to you facing the challenges of working on different schedules. That's a great question. Um, what we know from research, it's um, when we're on different schedules, sometimes our sleep patterns are off, our circadian rhythms are off, and it can make it very challenging to connect. Um, couples, today's fast-paced world, have different schedules and find that they have sometimes little time together. So you have to really be intentional about that quality time that you spend together. 
Can it be better not to be with each other all the time? Absolutely. Um, I think, in fact, if you're together all the time, that's pretty unique. And if it is, then you may not be <laughs> as happy as well. So I think it's about quality, not quantity. Mm-hmm. Is there, you know, I don't, I don't know how many years you've done this. About um, over 20 years. Over, so. over 20 mm-hmm. years. For in, When you do couples therapy, what is the, like, the top issue that people come to you with? Communication. Everybody comes in with communication issues. And then within the first session or two, you find that there's sometimes more to that. Sometimes um, communication is, is the main thing, but sometimes it is the barometer or it um, is, is what's um, uh, coming out in other things. So they have differences in values or they have differences in raising their children if they have children. Um, but communication by and far is like the most common thing that people come in for. And again, it's Valentine's Day. We're talking about love and relationships. There are so many different forms of relationships in Nevada. This is really a live and let live by history and tradition, a live and let live state. Uh, As long as you don't hurt anybody, people can pretty much do what they want here. And a lot of people do. And that leads to a lot of relationship sort of uh, offshoots. What's your relationship like, uh, whether it is a traditional marriage, uh, friends with benefits, polyamory? How do you make it work? Or, or what pitfalls have you had in your relationships that you might uh, tell other people about to help them avoid those? Freddie from Las Vegas, uh, he has uh, something that he does on Valentine's Day. Freddie, welcome. How are you doing? Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I have been married for 47 years to the same wonderful woman. We started living together because I suggested that we live together for five years before getting married. And uh, so we've been together 51 years this year. And I think the secret uh, was when I was a teenager, I listened to this man who was 93 years old and had just celebrated his uh, 70th wedding anniversary uh, to his wife. And uh, I said, uh, maybe I better listen to you. You seem to know how to make a relationship last. And he said, I'll tell you a couple of things, and I'm going to repeat exactly what he said. He said, number one, he said, if you treat your wife like a mistress, you will never need a mistress. And the other thing he said was, he said, once you have caught, don't stop chasing. Mm -hmm. Women love to be chased by their man and therefore keep on chasing long after you have caught. And I have done that. And I think that's why it's lasted 47 years, uh, my marriage and, and, and the relationship itself has lasted 51 years because I'm always coming up with things to surprise the heck out of her. For example, on Valentine's Day, she's expecting flowers and candy. Why not give her flowers and candy a week before Valentine's Day when they aren't swamped with flower orders and and this sort of thing, and there's more candy to choose from? And I decided to take her on a honeymoon uh, to Hawaii. What she didn't know and found out much to her surprise after we arrived there, she said to me, how long are we going to be here? 
And I said, well, I think we're going to be here the rest of our lives because we have just moved to Hawaii. And uh, oh, so we had, a, we had a honeymoon that lasted there 11 years before we moved to Las Vegas. So, you know, I'm always coming up with things that just yeah. surprise her to the point where her jaw drops open with surprise, you know. Uh, one time I sent uh, flowers to her at work with one of those big, uh, you know, helium balloons that said, you were great last night. (laughs) 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 Freddie, wow. Yeah, that is a way to do it. My jaw dropped. If if somebody came to me and we were in a different country or state and said, uh, we just moved here, my jaw would drop too. (laughs) Freddie, thank you so much for that call. We have another call from Skeeter in Mesquite. Mosquito, welcome back. Good morning, kids. How's everybody today? We're doing really well. Um, good. Uh, I just like the last caller that just, you know, was in. I We've been married for 48 years, and we lived together seven years, so we've been together 55 years. And and your, your commentators there nailed it right on the head. Communications. Communications communication. I mean, it, we've had some knockdowns, you know, uh, <laughs> heavy duty arguments. Mm-hmm. And we, we made, we made an agreement a long time ago when we first got together as so we need to sit down, no matter how angry we are to talk things out and it's work. And my suggestion for Valentine's day is dark chocolate troubles. That is the best thing in the world. Well, for my wife, anyway. All right. Skeeter, thank you so much for the call. And I'm, I'm glad you've had such a successful and a long relationship uh, with your wife. How do you make your relationships work? Um, what is the key? What's your key? And I'm here with Vita Kazaskaite. She is a professor, and so is Sarah Jordan in UNLV's Couple and Therapy program. And Vita, I want to ask you, you know, this city is renowned for spontaneous weddings. We have chapels everywhere. I think Usher just got married at some chapel, chapel over the after the foot, football game over the weekend. I know somebody who years ago who got married one weekend to somebody he'd met just a few weeks earlier. Two weeks later, it was annulled. I wonder if these quickie weddings where people just meet and get married, do, do they ever work out? Because because the, the caller before Freddie said, you know, he wanted to wait five years mm-hmm. before they got married. And research I've read says you should be with somebody five years. That's a good uh, barometer to mm-hmm. tell if your relationship will last. Mm-hmm. But uh, go ahead. They could last. I think it depends. Maybe you're one of the lucky ones that met your soulmate, if you believe in that. Um, but it, what makes a relationship work is commitment and communication and continuing to show up for one another, right? So if you meet a stranger and you are feeling high on life because oxytocin is flowing and you are excited and you are like, yes, I want to do it. I want to spend the rest of my life with you and you marry them. Good for you. But now when everything subsides, all that excitement, all that oxytocin is kind of calming down. What is it, what is it going to take to make this relationship work? Let's talk about values. Let's talk about our morals, our belief systems. If they align, great. If they don't, can we align them? Can we make it work? If not, then unfortunately, it usually doesn't work out. But it just depends on how committed you are to that person. 
And so when you meet a person and you marry them quickly, how committed can you be, right? It's like, I need probably 30 days to commit to a pair of shoes. So I probably would need longer time to mm-hmm. commit to a person. But there's different personalities. There's different styles. You know, maybe people are just like, hey, I, I'll make it work regardless of what happens. So. When people come to you for assistance and help, mm-hmm. are they people who have never had conversations about values, morals, that kind of thing? And then do you sit down and have that write the out maybe for the first time between the two of them? Yeah, unfortunately, yes. Um, I asked couples how they meet and what kind of conversations they had before they decided to commit to one another. And usually it's like, oh, well, we both wanted kids and we both, yeah. you know, were in great in our careers and we just thought it was time. So they never talk about values. They never talk about beliefs. They never talk about money, right? That's a big one. So, yeah, I have them write out their values and see how they, wait, again, wait. align. Shouldn't true love trump money? <laughs> in theory, absolutely, yeah. right? However, I mean, that makes a big difference if some if a partner's bringing in a, a substantial amount more than another partner their partner, what will that look like and do you split the good? bills 50-50? Again, it just depends on what you want, right? What if in traditional terms the woman makes more money than so. the man? There's a lot of men that are insecure about it still to this day. Right. But they won't tell you that they're feeling insecure. They're not they're not going to tell you that they're feeling vulnerable. So my job as a therapist is to have these hard and difficult conversations. So is, is that a common theme? Men come in and, and the wife makes more money and he's he, he gets angry about that, even though it helps them afford living. I wouldn't say angry. Yes, it's a common theme. And I wouldn't say angry. Right. It just makes People feel inferior, maybe. Maybe they're feeling, again, vulnerable because they feel that traditional, I have to take care of my woman, right? Now they can't because I'm making less money. Like cavemen. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) Sure. And Professor Jordan, you know, we're a very diverse city. Marriages, we have, we see them everywhere between different cultures, different races. Do people in those relationships come to you? Do they find it difficult to be accepted here? Or because of our diversity here, does it feel like those, do those people in those relationships feel like this is a great city to live in? I think it depends on the individual and the couple. Um, Prior to living in Vegas, I lived in West Texas in the second most conservative city in the world. So I can kind of do some comparisons (laughs) there. Um, And being in Vegas, I think overall people feel like they can be themselves and they feel pretty accepted. Um, I think in the therapist community, we are very open to lots of different relationship styles and um, patterns of behaviors and things like that um, than other parts of the country. Um, So I I think for the most part, yeah. And going back to what Vida talked about minutes earlier, you know, Las Vegas has gone through 9-11, the Great Recession, the pandemic. In each of those instances, we were hit about as hard or harder than any other city in the country, along with the, like, oh, it's always a Florida country that get, or Florida city that gets hit just as hard. I think people forget about how devastating those times were, but they ruined businesses, families, and they tore apart relationships, the financial stress. How do people get What's the advice for people who go through a financial time, not just those really, really devastating times, but any financial crisis? So money is a big part of relationships. If you are sharing a household, if you are sharing incomes and, and supporting each other to some degree, add kids on, and that's a whole other layer. Um, I, 
Money in general, I, you know, if people come from close dif- uh, socioeconomic backgrounds, they're both middle class, they're both working class, they seem to have similar values, going back to what um, Vita said earlier, and values are very important. You can have different personalities and opposites attract, we hear this, but I think if you have similar values, that's kind of the core of what you build your relationship on. The same with money. A lot, everybody has an idea about money, how you spend your money, if you save your money, what you do with your money, um, how we're sharing money and how we're not sharing money, who's making more money. So whenever you have a financial crisis, that's a major stressor on the relationship, just like other things. But money is a very common one. Um, and I would advise couples to reach out to a therapist um, if they are having financial struggles that are impacting the relationship. Anytime we're under stress, that impacts how we communicate. And financial stress can be one of those for sure. Do you think it's best to have separate bank accounts? That's a good question. <laughs> um, I think it depends on the couple. I think it depends if they've been married before, if this is their first marriage, what their values are. Um, I don't think there's one right way to answer that question. But I do think that's a very important conversation to have, not only prior to committing to one another or getting married or l- living together, but to evaluate because times change and things change. Um, One of our family therapists suggests that about every seven years, we as individuals change and evolve, and we're either going to grow closer to each other or we're going to grow away from each other. So you hear this idea of the seven-year itch in relationships. People want to, you know, um, have an affair or have questions about the relationship. It's because we evolve as individuals, um, and some of us evolve more than others do over that period of time. So I, I know people listening to that, actually, the thought's going through my mind as well, but some people are listening to that and thinking, well, then during those seven years, I better stick my claws into that person and, and make sure that the changes I'm going through, they're aware of so that after seven years, we don't grow apart. Or what, what is the way to maintain that connection over those that, that troublesome uh, seven years? That's a great question. I think um, if both individuals in the partnership are working on their own self-growth and are sharing that with one another, whether that's through therapy, um, you know, other activities that they're involved in, their own job, their own, you know, those are things they can share with their partner and, and grow and learn from each other. I think the challenge is when one individual in the relationship is growing and seeking growth and that's their mindset, that's their value, and the other one is not, that's when you see really um, – um, a tearing apart of, yeah. of ways and some I've sometimes. definitely seen that before. You know, uh, marriage in the United States over the last 60 years has fallen by 50%. Some people just do not want to get married. Some people just wait. And they, you know, they've, I think they find that being alone is just something they like. But Las Vegas also has the highest divorce rate in the country. Uh, do you know why? Well, there's several pieces there. First, to kind of unpack, we hear this idea of there's a 50% divorce rate. We hear this often. And statistically, what that means is for that year, let's say for 2023, let's say there were 500,000 marriages. Um, In that same year filed in the court system, there may have been 250,000 divorces filed. Mm -hmm. So it's not that each person um, has a 50% chance of getting a divorce. It's just a statistical number for that particular calendar year. So what's interesting and unique about Vegas is a lot of people get married in Las Vegas. People might be more likely to get divorced in Las Vegas as well for various reasons or to file here. So the numbers may have significance and they may not. Um, We're also assuming that divorce is always a bad thing. Now, divorce is a hard and difficult thing, but it's not always a bad thing. And I think in our society where we have more awareness of self-growth, 
um, and options in our life that divorce may actually be the best solution for both partners, even though it's hard and difficult. When is it a good thing? Um, I think it's a good thing when the um, you kind of weigh out the benefits and the challenges of the relationship. If one or both, sometimes it's one person that's saying, you know, this is not what I'm wanting, and they try different things to make it work, and it's just like fitting the square peg in the round hole, then I think it's time to talk about options. There's lots of different options. Some people will legally stay married, but they will have separate households. Other times they will open up their relationship, and that's a whole different you know, scenario because that doesn't always work to maintain that particular relationship. Um, but I think we have more options today, and some people will legally get divorced. Mm-hmm. Talking about relationships in all of its forms, not just marriage, uh, friends with benefits, polyamory, whatever is out there, we have it in this city. And if you're in any of those relationships, how do you make it work? Are the keys for a successful traditional partnership the same as the keys for somebody who is in a polyamorous relationship. And Jerry from Las Vegas, welcome to the program. Thanks, Joe. Uh, I, uh, I've been married for almost 26 years to my sweetheart, uh, and I find that one of the reasons that people in, in many cases have a problem with their relationship, whatever it is, is because uh, there's too much focus on individual self. Uh, my my wife's grandfather, he married us, and the advice that he gave us was very profound. Uh, he said, of course, never go to sleep angry. Mm-hmm. But he also said, if you spend all of your energy and time trying to make the other happy, there won't be room for anybody else to get in between the two of you. And, and I find that to be true as I look like uh, well, one of your previous callers said, look for ways to surprise my wife, keep her happy, keep her interested. We find ways to get around all the problems. We have four children. In fact, one of them is getting married a week from this coming Saturday herself. Uh, so we find that if we are constantly working not only independently, but together on trying to make the other happy, mm-hmm. we don't have time to become unhappy because as we're working for them, they're working for us. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be times where one side will have to work harder than the other. That That's okay. You know, as long as both parties in the end are working towards happiness, we won't have to worry about selfishness because our needs and our desires and our wants and our love will be fulfilled and we can be happy. That's great, Jerry. Thank you for that call. Congratulations on your relationship and uh, to, to your child's wedding coming up. How have And there's also this, how many times have you heard people say a relationship will never work unless the partners accept and love themselves? Monica Garcia is the director of the Love Yourself Foundation in Las Vegas. Monica, welcome to the program. Hello. Thank you for having me. Great to have you. First, what started this foundation? What's the motivation for it? So honestly, the mission behind the organization was um, inspired by my own story of learning to love myself and also just the different components that helped me in that process. My background, um, I studied environmental studies and sociology at UNLV, um, but from a very young age, I was very environmentally aware. So when I grew, when, when I would become an adult, I knew that was going to be my my jam. And so I did that. You know, I, I did various 
campaigns, environmentally focused. Um, I after graduation, I I also worked at UNLV as a, as a sustainability coordinator. So I was always very focused on how can the world, or how can the human world treat the planet better. But what happened was that in 2016, 2017, I myself hit a wall, a wall of depression. In 2017, I went through a near-death experience. I was not in a good relationship. So suddenly my world, I didn't have um, any any foundation on what it meant to treat myself well. My predisposition was always to give, to help people, uh, to nurture, right, to, to mm-hmm. get people to care. But I was missing me and that, and, and that whole thing and that formula. So um, thankfully... Um, I was able to really just take a time out. Um, I went through a lot of panic attacks, anxiety, just, you know, very difficult time in my life. Um, but again, thankfully, I was able to just take a year off from being my regular activist that I always was. Um, and I, my part of my family is from Spain, so I was able to be there. And I, I took time to do something different, and I, and I taught English to little kids. But during that whole time, during that whole year, um, I had been toying with this idea of how can I get people to care about the planet? But then suddenly, it's like I had like a light bulb and I was like, wow, like, if a lot of people are struggling to take care of themselves, how can I expect people to care about other people, and let alone the earth? And then I started to look at the statistics of the environmental degradation continuously increasing. And then at the same time, depression, anxiety, suicide, all these things growing. And, you know, as, um, as a human being, you know, we, we are part of the natural world. We, we, we have a place in it as well. And so I started to see the disconnection that we were not only feeling within society and a lot of us, but the disconnection that we might be feeling in our own selves. So from that point forward, my focus shifted. And I said, I need to help people. I need to help people learn to love themselves, to treat themselves better, to then and then from there see the ripple because I saw it. I was my own case study, you know, like from at one point in time, I was in this survival mode. All of, all of a sudden, I couldn't really care about what was around me because and that was my predisposition as I was healing the depression and all the other things. Um, I said, wow, well, I got a glimpse, you know, that's how a lot of people are feeling. We need to do something about it. Oh, that's mm-hmm. so interesting. So what does the foundation do? So we started primarily, we, one of the main, main things I always wanted it to be was an online resource, especially with just how the world was going. And I started this back in um, 2018. Mm-hmm. So I always wanted to have resources, whether it's like reading or videos, things like that, that people could access. So that from the beginning, that was one of my, my big goals. Eventually, I, I wanted to do uh, events, workshops, and that's that was the next step. So in fall of 2018, we started to do events in the Arts District um, geared around self-expression and, and intertwining self-love and creating a, a more I would say, loving and positive um, conversation, too, within the art and music world. Um, and now, given Vegas, uh, we, you know, we've helped a lot of artists and musicians, but also a lot of hospitality workers. And so during COVID, just seeing 
uh, how so many of the gig workers were not only out of work, but unable to get help and access to mental health support. Um, I also had a dear friend, I was an incredible entertainer in town, um, who died by suicide. And when that happened, I said, oh my gosh, like we need to do more. <laughs> and for and then because our, the organization Art and Music was always a staple component of what we do, and again, given Vegas hospitality, um, I said we need to do a program that would help support artists, musicians, and entry-level hospitality workers. Typically, these demographics either you know they might have Medicaid, maybe they don't, maybe they make too much to um, actually have Medicaid, but you know not enough money to go and get support. Mm-hmm. Um, so I saw, and then with my friend that passed, I said, okay, we need to do something for this demographic. So now we're on this pursuit of creating this program that would support these demographics, um, these populations. And I would love to get it fully funded. So the participants, um, my dream is they wouldn't have to pay anything. Yeah. So um, yeah. that's that's the next big uh, endeavor that we're on. It's interesting. So your, your foundation works on really the relationships between people and the environment and, and other aspects. Do you, and I'll probably ask this of our therapists, do you see the connection maybe in yourself or in others who have learned to love themselves? Have you seen them able to create better relationships with other people? Absolutely. 100%. I mean, even within me, like I've been on my own journey now, um, single for four years, but just even if I focus on like the type of people I've met in my, in my personal life, um, when I've maybe met or dated um, and or just friendships, you know, just seeing how my friendship quality has grown and then not only myself, but just other peers of mine too, just seeing how as they've been pursuing that self-development and working on themselves, like their lives are improving. And I mean, I'm seeing it and I'm seeing it in real time. Mm-hmm. And uh, Professor Vidak, as a kite, do you see that uh, self-love as? I mean, self-love makes it sound like a bad thing. Um, and maybe there's a different word for it, you know, because people are going to associate self-love possibly with narcissism. But but maybe it's self-respect or a uh, realization of self-worth. But do you see how important is that in? Uh, if a person wants to have a successful relationship with somebody else. Absolutely. I call it prioritizing yourself, right? Mm. There's no negative connotations with that, hopefully. Um, And there's nothing wrong with that. Focusing on yourself, healing from whatever you've gone through, any adversities, any traumas. If you are a healed, whole, healthy person, you will also spill that over into any of the relationships that you have in your life, whether it's romantic, or friendship, right? Platonic relationships. So focusing on you, making sure that you are the best version of yourself is, it cannot be wrong, right? Because if you're focusing on yourself and you're happy, you're also content with being single, right? You're content with being alone, not feeling lonely, but being alone is okay because you believe in yourself. You believe that you will meet someone that adds to your happiness and not takes away or you don't need them to make you happy. You want them, right? Yeah. And Professor Jordan, you want to add to this? Um, yes, absolutely. When when I meet with couples and they come in and sometimes they know they want to stay together or they're not sure they want to stay together, I said, my goal is to make sure we have two happy, healthy people. And if you end up staying together, that's great for your relationship if that's what you're wanting. But if not, 
we want you to both be happy and healthy. And I think that's the goal in life. So the question is, you know, focusing on self, being a happy, healthy person is going to attract other happy, healthy people. If you are not healthy um, emotionally, psychologically, um, you are going to attract other people that are also not healthy, and therefore you're going to be more likely to have relationship issues. Mm -hmm. You know, people will often say, if you want to find a narcissist, um, get a bunch of politicians together and just point. And we do hear certain politicians always talk about how great they are, how smart they are. Um, and they're always saying how much they adore themselves, that kind of thing. Is that true? Is that self-love? Is that narcissism? I mean, what's the difference? How can you tell? And I'm advise, asking this for people who are out there in the relation, you know, trying to find a relationship. How can you tell between somebody who's a narcissist, which I hear people say all the time now, oh, that person's a narcissist, and self-love? That's that's great. Yeah, you hear narcissism. Oh, my spouse is a narcissist, right? Yeah. I think we overuse that term. I think we confuse narcissism, which is a personality disorder that's very distinct characteristics with people who may be selfish or may be looking out for their best interest and not others. You know, someone who is a true narcissist, we're looking at a very small percentage of the population. These are individuals with very distinct characteristics. They are not only going to be self-absorbed, but they are also going to step on whoever they need to to get where they need want to be in life. So individuals who um, have achieved greater status as our society, you know, politicians, CEOs of major companies, a lot of times they have they have narcissistic traits or are narcissists mm -hmm. because what it takes to get to that position sometimes means that, you know, there's a lot of casualties. Um, so in, and the, the difference between, you know, self-love is like I love myself, but that's not taking away from your happiness. I, I can love myself and, and be healthy and support you who are happy and healthy. A narcissist – doesn't really care about the other person. In fact, they don't. They may use or say that they do or love that other person, but it's only to benefit themselves. It's not to truly um, enhance that other person's life. Uh, and I'm going to ask this uh, of Monica. You know, uh, again, your organization, the Love Yourself Foundation, you, you did kind of touch on this, but I wonder if you've really seen that self-love, if it enhances a person's appreciation for other people, uh, not just in a relationship, but maybe empathy for people in a different city or a different country going through strife? I think so. I mean, in the years that I've been immersed in this, I, I, I do see that because, I mean, even if I look at my own self, um, as I've grown and evolved and, and you know, healed those aspects that I was struggling with and continue, you know, there's different cycles that come up. I do even notice my own empathy continuously increasing. And so, and, I, and I'm seeing it in the community and, and the people that I surround myself with too that are following this path. Mm -hmm. You know, we got a question here from Joanne and she says, can your guests explain why women seem more happy alone after a divorce <laughs> than men. Um, uh, Professor Jordan. Well, I think in a straight relationship, you have a male and a female, and we're talking about binaries here. A lot of people think that the male is the one that wants out the door. He's going to have the cute little new girlfriend and the red sports car. <laughs> but I will tell you, when couples come in, most of the time, almost all of the time, it's the woman who's like, I'm done. Um, and so I think that's a surprise to most people. And I try to normalize that when that happens. So why do women tend to be more happy after divorce? My 
20 plus years of experiences that most of the time, the women that I've worked with in a, in a straight couple will say, you know, this problem's been going on for years. My male partner, my male spouse um, hasn't recognized it, hasn't dealt with it. I checked out years ago. And it's this final straw that's got us into therapy to say, we're, we're going to split up. We're going to have a divorce. Um, men on the other side are like, there's a problem. And <laughs> the female will be like, uh, case in point, right? Like, that's why we're here. So I would say women tend to move on quickly after divorce or after long-term breakup is because they've emotionally detached mm -hmm. long ago. These issues in the relationship that they have brought up with their, um, and, and I'm not saying stereotypically, this is from actual clinical years of clinical experience, mm -hmm. is that they have tried to work on those for so long that they're just done. Mm -hmm. They hang on till the children graduate from high school or some type of life events happen and then they are ready to move on. So they are ready to go. And a lot of times the male partner is totally crushed uh, you know, he's confused about what happened and he really goes into this like, you know, deep depression, um, whether it's clinically diagnosable or not. I always compare, you know, men have this relationship with their clothes. They tend to, you know, wear the same clothes for a long period of time. And it's kind of like that with relationships. They're very familiar. It's it's comfortable. It's they're happy even when their spouse is not happy <laughs> or content. And so they're like, hey, as long as, you know, things are working out for me, I'm good. We can stay like this for the rest of our lives. And women tend to have uh, different ideas or emotionally want different things in the relationship. Their needs perhaps aren't being met. So they are more likely to, at some point to be like, you know what? This has been two, five, ten years. I'm ready to move on. I have another message here from Jesse who says, I've been married 18 years. I've learned that love, respect, trust, equality, empathy, and teamwork are very important. And from Patricia in Las Vegas says, where do people in Las Vegas find each other? Things have changed socially over the last 10 years. And uh, uh, Vida, what about um, dating apps? Is that the best place to find a potential boyfriend, girlfriend, or whatever? It can be, right? I have clients who met online, and it works. Um, just depends. I think the problem with dating apps is that hey, this doesn't work out, no worries, because at the uh, tip of my fingertips, I have, you know, 48 more women that I can talk to tonight. So the commitment isn't uh, isn't there like it used to be, right? But it does open up the world. It You can, you know, live in Henderson and date someone in Centennial Hills and or meet someone there, right? Where traditionally, maybe you're going to a bar in, in your area of town, and that's kind of your limit, right? So it does open the doors to meeting people in different parts of the city, even different parts of the state, even, you know, different parts of the world. So there's pros and cons to dating apps. But, sure. but, but how big of a problem is it that you can be in a relationship and you do know that, um, you know, what I've seen and what I've heard from people is basically what you just said. Mm -hmm. This doesn't work out, you know, mm -hmm. there's somebody else or they could be in a relationship. And but they're still on an app and somebody better comes along. So they just dump this one and go to the next one. Well, we just got an email, right? It said love and respect. The respect piece is huge. Once you're committed, you have to respect not only your partner, but yourself, right? So if I made a commitment and I promised that person that, you know, I'm committed to loving you and committed to making this work, I don't want to disrespect my own word and live by I want to live by my own words and, and actions are big right mm -hmm. so what 
what can you do there? What, where is the respect? Where is the love? Like, yes, of course, there's always possibilities. But I mean, you don't need dating apps for that. You can go out to dinner with your friends and meet a beautiful woman or a handsome man, right? You don't need dating apps for that. The no. possibilities are always open. But it's that commitment. Again, I've committed to you. I'm respectful to, towards my partner. I'm respecting our boundaries that we've set up. And I will continue to love you. I'm hearing more and more about polyamory, polyamorous relationships. I want to delve into that a little bit. Uh, first of all, what is it? Great question. Um, so I think we, we have to make some distinctions here between polyamorous, um, talking about terms like consensual non-monogamy, swingers. So polyamorous in a sense means that you have many loves, that you have many people that you're romantically in love with. And that you're some, sleeping with? Yes, um, <laughs> it can be. Not always, but it can be. Um, and so you may have a partner that is your primary partner, and then you may have other sexual partners. But it's all about honesty. It's all about being open. Everyone is consensual, this idea of consensual non-monogamy. You're in relationships with more than one person. When we think about swingers, these are people who are meeting up purely for sex. There's not an emotional connection. So couples tend to go swinging together. They go to a party. They go to a club. And in Vegas is one of those places where there are swinger clubs. Um, and they would go as partners and find someone else to be with them sexually or be in an orgy with other couples. Um, these are things, of course, that Vegas has that not a lot of other places have. The main key in these relationships is trust. Communication, of course, but definitely trust. These are couples who are, if they're successful with these relationships, they are able to be open and honest. Jealousy is not a thing. Mm -hmm. Of course, um, we, we can get jealous from time to time, but jealousy comes up when we are not honest and truthful with our partners. These are not really, in fact, some of the couples that I know um, in these various lifestyles have probably have more trust and even commitment than other individuals that I know. And so, again, that's very, a very important part. There's lots of options. There's, there, you know, situationships are more of like, you know, you're kind of dating around and you're not committed to one another. It's very different than being consensual non-monogamous. That means we both agree that we are going to have other partners, but we're going to be open to some degree about that. We don't share every detail of each relationship with each partner. We have our own distinct relationships, but we – we talk about the fact that we have these connections and we don't fight that. And a lot of people will say that's, that's a very natural instinct for a lot of us. A lot of people cheat because they want to feel connected to other people, whether it's in a sexual or emotional way. Those who are um, um, consensual non-monogamous, they said this is a natural part we should embrace and not fight and do it in a very loving, healthy, open, honest way. Yeah, do uh, I want to for, for swingers? Yeah. Um, as you said, it's it's common here. I know people in those mm -hmm. relationships. It, could you put a percent on how, how many of those actually end up working? I've known people who have decided they wanted to do it, and it wasn't the best thing for them. That's a great point. So I would say um, that if you're if you're in a, a monogamous relationship right now, and you're like, let's spice it up, let's try swinging, yeah. that's probably not going to work. <laughs> Um, what does work is if people come into the relationship very early on and say, hey, I've had this thought, and they both really share that. I have seen that people struggling, one part, they're trying to mend the relationship, and let's say, okay, let's try swinging. That's usually always a disaster. That's not going to work. But it goes back to values. If both people value and want to enjoy that, 
then they are going to have um, a good relationship. Um, it's usually most successful when both partners coming together have had experience with either consensual non-monogamy or swinging. There's still very different camps of people, um, but those are things brought into the relationship can can really work for people. I don't know if that's the same thing as an open marriage, but I wonder if that is something that after people have engaged in that, if they come to you for help with. Absolutely. Um, and a lot of people come in. You, you would be surprised, the people that you know in your community – in your neighborhood, various ages, various backgrounds, teachers, policemen, you know, a lot of people that are just everyday average people are either in open marriages or are swingers. And so it's not something that they always disclose because it's not always accepted in mm-hmm. society. But, but well, what are the issues when they yeah. come? Is it the same as, as relationship yes. issues in, other, in a marriage or anything else? Absolutely. It does tend to be very similar issues. Um, usually it's about communication. It's about, you know, um, very typical things. Yes. Usually the, if they're both have been in the lifestyle, if they're both swingers or have been um, poly open marriages for quite a period of time, then they tend to come in with pretty typical relationship things. You know, I, I think a, a lot of people still to this day, uh, we're in Vegas, so things are skewed a little bit sociologically, but sex used to be viewed as something you would work toward in a relationship. You didn't just go for it on the first date. I, I wonder if that's changed. I wonder if sex is viewed in a more casual way as less something to work for, but maybe just some, something fun that people seek, whether or not they intend to have a relationship or they don't. I wanted to add in here, we've talked a lot about straight couples, and I want to make sure that we're inclusive of all couples, Absolutely. of gay, lesbian couples, people that are non-binary. I work a lot with the transgender community. And so I think there are different subcultures in our, you know, in some groups, casual sex is the norm and relationships are more rare. In other circles, it's kind of the opposite. So I think it really depends on those demographics and um, what is part of the culture, what is part of the values. Um, and yeah. Vida, do you want to add to that? I, I think that sex, just like mental health, has been destigmatized a little bit, right? So you don't necessarily have to wait for marriage to have sex. Um, women are empowered to, you know, take care of their needs and wants. I, I don't know anybody who waits till marriage to have sex. I, I do. <laughs> you do? I do. Yeah. I have clients and personal friends. Um, again, it's usually associate, <clears throat> excuse me, associated with a uh, religion, but yeah, they still exist. Still exist. Uh, actually, oh, we have, have so many more questions. And I just noticed we are less than a minute from the end of this program, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to leave it there. I really want to thank UNLV professors Vida Kaite. Sarah Jordan and Monica Garcia from the Love Yourself Foundation. And thanks to listeners who called and wrote in.